0: Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.
1: Hello and thank you for listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast, where we discuss career, science and research. I'm Adam Smith and today we're here to talk about peer review, specifically how to be a good peer reviewer. Joining me, we have three brilliant early career researchers who have all undertaken peer review and who I feel you would be happy to have looking at your manuscripts. I'm delighted to welcome regular dementia researcher, blogger and guru, Dr. Yvonne Couch from the University of Oxford. Hello, Yvonne. Hi. We also have the amazing Dr. Martina Bocchetta from the University College London.
0: Hi, everyone.
1: And finally, the awesome Dr. Isabel Castano from uh, Beth Israeli Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, all the way from USA. Hello, Isabel. Hi. Well, as is traditional for the show, let's start with some proper introductions. So, Yvonne, why don't you go first? Tell us about yourself.
2: Thank you, Adam. Hi, I'm Associate Professor Yvonne Couch, and I'm a neuroimmunologist, and I work at the University of Oxford, where I study the potential for stroke to turn into dementia and the role of
0: endothelial cells and extracellular vesicles in that process.
1: Brilliant, thank you. Uh, Martina?
0: Hi everyone, I'm Martina Bocchetta, I'm a senior research fellow at the Dementia Research Centre at University College London, And when I'm not reviewing others' paper, I try to write some on my own. And my research area is in trying to measure changes in brain structures by using neuroimaging. And I apply that in various forms of frontotemporal dementia.
1: And, of course, UCL's at the forefront of all that work. Thank you, Martina. And Isabel.
0: Hi.
3: As Adam said, my name is Isabel Carstanghi. And I'm currently a postdoctoral research fellow at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center or BIDMC and Harvard Medical School. Uh, I did my PhD at the University of Exeter, actually in the UK, um, with Professor Jonathan Mill and Professor Katie Lannan. And But I recently put down the pipettes completely and I'm dedicating myself to computational studies um, using bioinformatics uh, with Dr. Winston Hyde. And I joined his lab at BIDMC last year and in my current research, I'm investigating protective mechanisms to Alzheimer's disease, with a special interest in single-cell and spatial transcriptomics.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you all of you, and thank you for making time to talk to me today. And of course, I, we should say you've all been on the podcast before as well. This doesn't happen very often. We have Ev- Yvonne's been on both sides of the of the table as interviewer and interviewee. Martina joined us to talk about FTD before, and some of the conferences. Isabel Talk was with us. Oh, if you want to hear Isabel talk about the stresses of being in the pandemic um, you can go back to those. we're trying to forget about that though now Um, so so back to today we're to talk about peer review so let me set the scene reviewers play a pivotal role in scholarly publishing the peer review system has been criticized for being out of date but fundamentally it exists to validate academic work to help us improve the quality of published research and increase networking possibilities within research communities Uh, Despite criticisms, peer review is still a widely accepted method, the only widely accepted method for research validation. And when done well, it should improve the outputs. So let's get into it. Martina, I'm going to come to you first. Thinking generally, what do you look for in a good constructive peer review? Because today, what we're hoping to do is to send people away who haven't done peer review before with this a sense of what they need to do to be good um, so what do you look for in a good constructive peer review
0: so when i think about giving a very good uh, constructive peer review um, i think that um, we need to be clear and specific we need to provide a structure and feedback and also we need to be fair and helpful and friendly so um, when I, what I mean with the feedback that has to be clear and specific is that um, we need to specify with example and be um, um, as specific as possible. So any comments, any um, suggestions, any opinions has to be um, backed up with evidence. And it's not just a matter of saying, oh, this, not, this doesn't work or this is not good. We need to specify uh, why and how we might want to um, address a specific um, point and um, when i um, think about um, a feedback that has to be structured um, i um, consider helping both the author who has to go back and uh, possibly address the comments and also the editors who need to um, understand whether the uh, piece is good enough to be published or not And um, by giving a structure, so um, for instance, I like when I see uh, to start with a very brief summary of the paper and then perhaps um, an overall opinion on the manuscript and then followed by uh, major and minor um, concerns with kind of a bullet point so it's really clear what's working and what um, doesn't work. And then I mentioned that um, I believe a feedback and um, a peer review has to be fair and helpful. Um, We just don't want to criticize or destroy um, a piece. We want to um, help to improve um, the content. And um, being very polite and respectful for, I think uh, the number one rule is um, we want to review others' um, paper as we want ourselves to be reviewed. So I think that's the key element.
1: So specificity is key in there, not no vagueness, well structured. We're going to get into the details of how you go about doing that, but as a as a recipient of that feedback, specific feedback is is key. Isabel, did did you ever get any training, or or actually before I move on to Isabel, does anybody else have a have a comment to make on that? What what do you think, Yvonne? Come on, in. what do you think makes a good peer review?
2: No, I think I think what Martina said was was brilliant. I think. Just, for me, I think you should give feedback in the same way that you would if you were sitting face to face. So there is absolutely no need to be rude, and there's absolutely no need to make this egocentric. If they didn't cite your paper, and your paper's the only one that says something, then sure, tell them that they need to cite your paper. But not everybody needs to cite your paper just because you think your paper is shiny, so... Don't be egocentric and give feedback in a way that is, yeah, approachable and friendly, I think is a a great way of describing.
1: However, if you are on the other side of this, that's a top tip, right? So if you're asked to suggest reviewers, you might want to just double check that you haven't suggest reviewers that you could have cited and haven't. <laughs> so if you're going to suggest reviewers, maybe actually, would you deliberately go out of your way to to find a place to cite them if you're going to, if you're going to suggest them as reviewers. Is that a, is that kind of a, I can see that being a commonly missed thing, like that you'd bang your head against the wall afterwards and go, no, why didn't I do that? Well,
2: <laughs> well, for some fields, it's really easy because you know, the field is enormous. And so you can always find somebody to, to review your work and you might have missed their work because the field is enormous. But some fields are super tiny and there's actually not that many papers on whatever it is that you're writing on. Um, so actually hunting for reviewers that you don't already work with is actually really difficult. And then not citing them is is, yeah, probably an error at that point.
1: I okay, guess that's got to get into every top 10 like common fail that <laughs> if you ever did one. Isabel, let's come back to the start then. So. Did you ever get any training on peer review before you under, under, undertook it for the first time? And and how would you suggest people prepare to, to embark on this?
3: It's interesting that you ask that. Um, and I did get some informal training. Well, it started as informal um, because I think what helped me the most was my absolutely amazing PhD supervisor, Professor Jonathan Mill at University of Exeter, I think it was in my second year of my PhD, I believe, he did this private training for students and postdocs in the group, um, and it was so good. Uh, I found it so helpful that about two years later, I, when I was the uh, early career researcher rep for the ARUK Southwest Network, I convinced him to making it, making it to, into a workshop, uh, which was a, a success. But as part of that training, Uh, In addition to teaching us why peer review is important, which you touched on uh, some of the points, Adam, Uh, the process, the different types of reviews, uh, giving us advice in general and a structure that was very similar to what Martina uh, said. So that's usually the structure I I use as well. So in addition to all of that, John shared really good resources uh, that I often go back to. So I know that Nature, for example, has a free course. I think it's a three-something hours course that is pretty good. Uh, and there are several uh, great articles on the subject of peer review. Um, there are, I mean, if you, if you Google, <laughs> there are great resources out there to prepare you for your first time. But I would say that practice helps a lot. Uh, you get better as you do it. Um, and I can really see myself improving the more I do it. Um, And it's especially uh, by comparing your review with the reviews from other peer reviewers, it gives you confidence uh, when you see that someone said similar things, gave similar feedback to what you did, and you weren't sure what you were saying, but if other people uh, said it, it must be right. Uh, But also I've noticed sometimes I notice things that other other reviewers haven't, and that gives me confidence as well. I also noticed that I become uh, I became faster the more reviewer, the more reviews I did, for sure. And this is actually something that I've been trying to improve, to be more efficient with my own uh, reviews. Because initially I, I used to take, and sometimes I still do, I used to take too many hours to read the paper and to write my review. And then it was particularly frustrate- frustrating when I would realize uh, at some point that the paper was actually not a good paper or was very... Far from being at a good stage for publication, um, and and then I would realize that I was getting lost into details when I should be giving more general uh, advice, and then I could just go into details on the second round, I guess. Um, and I, I still particularly uh, struggle with this, but I remember on that training that John uh, gave us, he advised us reading the paper several times. So the first time you look into more general things, and you have a, a, a bigger overview of the paper, and you can start by doing the summary that Martina mentioned. Uh, and then the, on the other rounds, then you go into the details. Um, I think something else that I wanted to mention on this question is that I found it relieving to learn that it's okay not to know about absolutely everything in the paper. And when this is the case, it's important to be honest with the editor So often you have a section where you can tell the editor that a particular method or particular section of the paper you were not too comfortable with, and you advise them finding someone else to to make sure that that's reviewed properly. Um, And then if it's something I used to know, but I don't remember, I go read papers, I go study to remind myself. Uh, And it's also okay uh, to ask for help from a colleague. But an important note here is to make sure not to break confidentiality. So you can make more general questions like, you know, for this particular method, what in your opinion are good practices or what are resources where I could read more about a good example of good practice in in this uh, method, etc. And then finally, I also find it very helpful to think about what helps me the most when I'm the submitting author. And I think both Martina and Yvonne already touched on this but even before i start writing my review i try to remind myself when i'm the submitting author what helps me what are the main points that would help improve my paper
1: so so preparation is worth saying that there are courses out there that people can go away and and specifically go on i know i've talked i've i've heard before as well how some of the little writing groups that can form in teams and in certain labs, if you're lab based or if you're clinically based, where even if you're not an author on the paper offering to to have a look at colleagues as papers in advance and kind of treat it like as a dummy run almost. because I mean fundamentally, if you're like fifth, sixth, seventh, author on a paper, you could also, could you also treat that a little bit like peer review? Like you probably didn't write most of this. Your name's on it because, I don't know, you helped with an experiment and they're throwing you a bone by putting your name on the paper, right? But you could treat those a little bit like peer review. I mean, approach it in the same way, which would be a way of maybe doing this before somebody's career relied upon it. I, I think I've I've come across that approach before as well. But thank you, Isabel. That's, that's really insightful. Um, Yvonne, take us through it you've just been sent nature I've sent you a paper you're the lead you're the best person to to review this paper you don't know the author it's somebody in America um, it's got some clever stuff in there um, how are you take us through step by step how do you approach this first of all from the email that you ignored for three weeks when they chased you and said will you really really look at this and you just ignored it <laughs>
2: Yeah. And then they sent you another one at nine o'clock on a Friday night. You're like, no, I'm not. It's the weekend. i am do it on Monday.
1: No, come on.
2: <laughs> You've got 20 hours to do this review. So uh, Martina and Isabel have already sort of started to touch on some of the things that I do. And I review papers in, in quite a set order. So I'll start by saying I try not to accept lots and lots of reviews. So I only have so much time and everyone's time is precious. And if it's going to wipe out half a day or even like a bunch of hours, there's only so many half days, so many hours you have. Um, But it's important that if I do accept, I make sure that it's something that I'm qualified to review. So I get sent quite because I've got the word stroke in some kind of expertise database somewhere, I get sent quite a lot of clinical stuff which I always turned out because it's not my field. I don't know enough about clinical stroke imaging. I don't know enough about how they you know, present their data to, to review it well. So pick something that's that you're going to be comfortable reviewing. So once I get the view, once it's landed, I start with the abstract. I read through it and I get a feel for the paper. And then what I do is this is not the way I normally read papers, but this is the way I read a paper for a review. So I'll then go straight to the introduction to see how they're pitching it in terms of the field in general. So at this point, I should have a rough idea of what the paper is going to be about. But I've not made any comments yet. So all I'm doing at the moment is reading. So I do exactly what Isabel said her uh, supervisor did, which is read it a whole bunch of times and you get a bigger picture every time you read it. So I've just done the introduction. And the only notes I've made at this point is maybe spelling and grammar. So science is done everywhere in the world, English isn't everyone's first language, and sometimes the introduction is not that clear because the authors aren't native speakers. But that's fine, and it won't affect my judgement of the science. I might just scribble, you know, needs checking by a native speaker. I won't make any notes beyond that, and like I say, it won't affect my judgement of the science. So I then skip over the methods to the results, because if it's my field, I should be vaguely familiar with the methods. I'll go back and read them through later um, with sort of caveats and specific things in mind, but I'll skip straight to the results. Now for me, the rule with papers is that you should be able to visualize the figure from the text in the manuscript, and you should be able to write that text by looking at the figure and reading the figure legend. So those two should work essentially as a double of each other. So usually all I do is read the headline from the figure And then look at the figure and the figure legend. And here is where I might start to make judgments. So do the images show what they say? Are they clear? So I've, I've seen a lot of papers that have sort of microscopy images where they've just, you don't know which bit of the brain they're in or the figures they've uploaded are really fuzzy and you just can't see things. So have they used the right groups in their experiments? Have they approached the experiments using techniques which are appropriate for the questions they're asking? So this is where I start skipping between sections and rereading things. So I skip between the results, the methods, and the discussion. So for example, if the controls they used aren't clear, or they did behavioral experiments I want to check, I'll go back and look at the methods, see how they did them, and make sure they analyze them in a way that I think is appropriate. Um, Did they blind them? Did they do power calculations? Did they do the right statistics? And if they claim something has worked, but they've used a technique which I think may be a bit out of date, I'll check through the discussion to find out whether they've acknowledged it. So it's fine to use things which I might not necessarily agree with. So as an example, there are lots and lots of different models of stroke, and some of them are more representative and translatable than others. And if they've used one that I might not necessarily use, if they've acknowledged that in the discussion then that's fine as long as they're using something which is appropriate to answer the questions that that they've asked so for all of this bit I scribble in the margins of the paper as I go along so if I could I'm, I'm a scientist I can't afford a fancy iPad if I had a fancy iPad I'd be scribbling on a fancy iPad but I'm environmentally unfriendly and I print it out and scribble in red pen and once I think I've gone through the whole paper and sort of you know circled graphs and said i don't believe this or this looks great or whatever that's when i start writing and outlining my review and i do like martina says i always start with a brief overview of the paper because this shows the authors that i understood what they were trying to do Um, and it gives them a bit of confidence in in my reviewing abilities and the fact that i've actually read the paper. Then I split my comments again, as as the other guy said, I split my comments into major major and minor comments where major comments are things that are unclear or things that definitely need fixing because their data don't back up their claims. But sometimes all the comments might be minor. So they might just need to think about adding some extra stuff to the discussion or adding some different images or some extra images to clarify things or fixing an axis label or something. So unless they claim something really strong, which just isn't backed up, which happens a surprising amount, I try not to suggest a lot of extra experiments. I try and phrase it by saying, if I don't want them to do extra experiments, I try saying, have the authors considered, because that allows them to come back in the rebuttal and say yes we have but here's why we didn't do it Um, and it gives them that flexibility if i really think they need to do something because they've missed a control group i will say the authors have not done this therefore cannot prove this and i'll outline exactly what they need to do and why i think they need to do it so broadly as an overview what i try and remember is exactly what Isabel said so I try and remember what it's like to be an author when I'm writing a review so I'm trying to be constructive and I try to be polite so I've had the fun experience twice in my time reviewing of being able to say this paper is great I wouldn't change anything and I think that's important too I don't try and change what I'm reviewing unless it's unclear or wrong I usually try and think about what I'd say to the authors if we were sitting and just having a coffee so that is broadly how i put together a review
1: brilliant and and when you you mentioned at the start there that you you give a summary at the start so you literally would write a short section uh, like repeating back the study at the start just to acknowledge that
2: exactly so mine is usually not more than about i don't know five sentences or so and i say you know fred et al in this paper have shown x y and z and then I will have a concluding sentence that says, overall, I believe this paper is amazing or overall, this paper is broadly good. However, I have some concerns. These are outlined below and then scooch through.
1: And I, I like the comment you made about being clear as to whether you're expecting them to go away and do more experiments as opposed to, the, you know, the, the potential that this could have benefited from different experiments and how have you often come across something that you really didn't understand because whilst the overall paper was within your sphere they've done something that's not for you and in which case what do you do then do you comment saying i i, I don't you know i'm not an expert in this field or would you go away and look it up
2: it, so it would really depend so broadly that i would say that's never happened to me for a start it's because you just
1: you know everything because i know everything
2: (laughs) i'm that brainy no it's not it's just that like i broadly know how most techniques work i might not be able to nitpick most techniques and if If the whole paper is stuffed with techniques that I'm unfamiliar with, then I I wouldn't offer to review it in the first place. But if they did, like, let's say they did a paper and they stuck some MRI on the end of it. I roughly know how MRI works, but I'm not an expert. So at that point, I might do exactly what Isabel suggested, which is either find a friend who does it and say, if you were doing X is this the most appropriate technique? Or I'd go away and have a bit of a read. If it's really, really, if they've done something
0: completely
2: left field that's really out of my remit, then I would do exactly, again, as Isabel said, make a comment and say, this is not my area of expertise and therefore I cannot comment strongly on it.
1: And I I assume you'd all be comfortable with if you say you'll review something because, of course, you don't get to see the paper until you've said you'll review it. And then you get the paper through and go, oh, my God, what is this? This is not what I was expecting. Is, is it okay at that point to just go back to the publisher and say, I'm sorry, I can't review this?
2: Well, you get the abstract. So you usually yeah. get the abstract. And you can usually get a broad feel from the abstract. So I've only, again, I've only gone back and said, I can't review this once. And that was just because the abstract was fine. But the main body of the text the English was so poor as to be completely incomprehensible. It was like it was like one of those poorly translated menus that you see where they just
1: they just put it uh, into Google Translate and
2: yes, and it had not worked well. I, I, you and would so... have
1: loved that though. You you love going through and correcting co- correcting grammar. We're going to move on to that question later. In fact, actually, Martino, I'm going to come to you now. So, I mean. Obviously, Yvonne's given us a really great overview there as to her approach. Um, what do you find most challenging about reviewing papers?
0: The most challenging um, thing, which is, uh, has been discussed already, it's when I don't understand the methodology or uh, it's not clear whether um, the results or the discussion is clearly linked with what they've done and sometimes i'm in a position where it's either due to two things either i'm not qualified enough to understand it, or i'm not bright enough to understand what they've done or um the author uh, may have to clarify because description and um, what they describe is not um, clear so they might improve that and sometimes it's difficult to understand well at least for me one um when it's one thing or the other sometimes it's easier so if it's a method that I don't know, as um, Isabel and Yvonne has already said, it's either go and look it up or um, use the um, uh, editor's comment where you say, you know, I've commented on the section, but I'm not an expert in X Y Z. Why don't you contact a statistician or why don't you contact this other person because I'm, I'm not confident enough to uh, provide my opinion on this on this yeah. um, thing. It's just being honest and being clear. Well, and,
1: and you uh, that's okay at that point as well, to put actually put somebody in and say this person would be great for that. I,
0: I tend to be general, some sort of you know an expert in, um, but yeah, you, you could, I'm, I'm sure that you can also um, provide an exact name of an expert in the field. Um, and maybe it's also the other reviewer, so that's, you know, that's helpful. Um, when actually it's, it's, um, it's, it's probably due to the fact that the author haven't clearly explained or, or clarified or described uh, the methodology then what I t- but I'm still not 100% sure what I tend to do is um, trying to phrase in my comments some sort of you know rephrasing what I understood so you know I understood that you did X Y Z and then I ask question in a way that sort of can please the author clarify whether they did X and y? And then it's up to them whether they want to clarify in the paper, so make it clearer, or if they just want to reply in the rebuttal. And then it's up to them. But at least you sort of this, you know, this is unclear to me, and um, it's up to them.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably. Do you know what I, I mean? That must be some of the most common feedback you provide in peer review, isn't it? Is this is unclear because it's just it's not being something's just not being explained particularly well. Um I'm going to I'm going to skip around with my little bit of questions everybody in advance knew what questions were going to be asked mostly um but I'm going to skip around I'm going to come to Isabel's questions after and I'm going to go into the quick fire questions just straight straight in on these quick fire fingers on buzzers questions that I've written down um question number 1 are you ready uh, how long should it take to do a good peer review on a standard length paper how how many hours Minutes do you put in on this? Um, who wants to take that one? Yvonne's got her eyebrows raised. But from the way you just described it, Yvonne, you must take days. This no. is why you can only do two a year.
2: Yeah, this is why I only do two a year. <laughs> no, uh, I would say that's an entirely loaded how long is a piece of string question. So I reviewed a paper yesterday, which was awful, and it took me 20 minutes. But I would say if it's a decent paper, um, then it should be take a few hours i wouldn't tr- i try not to make them last more than half a day because like i say your time's precious
1: that's an interesting point then so bad papers are quicker to review than good ones
2: yes because you get the impression very quickly and it's usually from the so this was is the data so if it's your field this was an extracellular vesicle paper so i was very comfortable with the field the data was not robust they hadn't shown what they're supposed to show i didn't Belie- they'd shown a microscopy picture i didn't believe it was in it was a almost insta reject it was just at that point nothing beyond what they've done there it's not going to improve so you just flick through the figures and you're like no nope, no nope, you've you've gone in the wrong direction with that graph no you've only got an n of two here and at that point it's very easy to just go I don't even really need to read the discussion because I know that none of this data is going to make me happy. And you can bash out comments to say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this really quite quickly. Um, whereas a big paper where it's good and cohesive and, and all the data is sort of solid, at that point, you just, you're just you just kind of making sure that all the data is solid. And for that, it, it maybe will take, take a little bit longer. But again, try and not more than half a day.
1: Interesting. I, I, everybody was nodding there as well. So I assume you all agree. It's it's harder. Is that be, I mean, is that partly because you kind of feel like a better papers had more effort put into it, so you should too? No, not really.
3: <laughs> well, it's also what I mentioned, Adam. Of, I've been on the side where initially it took me a while to understand this about a bad paper, and then I realized I was spending way too many hours on it. Um, and so I agree with Yvonne, but at the same time, what you also don't want to do is give one sentence saying this paper is bad because I've seen reviews like that and it's not worth my time. Uh, you don't want to do that. You want to give something for them to improve, but you also, at the same time, you want to be mindful with your own time and not go into doing what should have been the author's job in the first place. Uh, but yeah, in terms of time, I agree with Yvonne. And like I said, I'm getting better at it. But I would, um, as Yvonne said, I think it depends on the paper. Um, some papers take 20 minutes. And
1: <laughs> in those instances, on those really bad ones, I mean, do you, do you still try to find something positive and constructive so you've at least put something in there? Like, you know, good effort. I can see where you're going. You just need to spend about six more months on this no not really but I mean again, what...
2: again it, dep- it depends on the paper so sometimes the the broad idea might be good and so you can you can say that as positive you know like you say I can see where they're going but they've executed it poorly but sometimes I reviewed one at the end of last year and it was just a massive repetition of another paper that had been done way worse than the other paper and hadn't cited it And so at that point, I'm like, well, you've you've not done your literature search properly. So you've done a ton of research that really doesn't need to be done. And then you've repeated somebody else's study badly. Um, So I've really got nothing positive to say about this beyond, you know, reproducibility is nice, but please do it properly. Um, So sometimes it's very difficult to find something good to say.
0: Maybe in that case, you can kind of help the author to say clearly what is the problem. So kind of work on this aspect, work on that other thing rather than, you know, save the paper because of blah, blah, blah.
1: So this is a related question. Second question in the speed round. Um, Should you add positive? I think we already know the answer to this, but should you add positive feedback as well?
3: I would say that as we initially, I thought about this answer with, I I always assume, always, you should always provide uh, positive criticism. But as we discussed, it's sometimes challenging if it's a bad paper. But you should at least provide your feedback in a thoughtful and considerate way. Uh, You should be rigorous and fair, uh, but you should deliver your feedback with kindness. There's a human being on the other side that is going to read it. And being rude is definitely not acceptable.
1: And that's the slightly weird thing, isn't it, about that you being blinded to them. So, like, even if you you can leave a nice comment, but they don't really ever know who who left it. I mean, that's like you know, do you uh, making a free donation anonymously? Uh, that, it's not quite the same thing. Well, it's but becoming, I, I it's becoming
2: agree. more open now, isn't it? Lots of journals say, uh, you, "Would you be happy for your name to be?" Published with this review and I do think that changes the way people review because at that point your name is then going to be associated with that paper even if it wasn't your work so
1: well that came up in our so in our uh, I start early career researcher survey there was a whole section on peer review and what was wrong with it and we're working on a separate paper for uh, to share and look at those results but some of the biggest pieces of feedback we had about peer review was that people felt also that the authors of the manuscripts should be blinded to the reviewers i don't know would you all agree with that i think that the the view was that if you didn't like that person or you saw them as a competitor or um you didn't know them that it, knowing the person who wrote it influences your review of the your peer review and it would be better if you didn't know so that you treated everything the same. Can you be truly independent if you know who wrote it?
2: I think at that point it becomes... So I've I've had this conversation with a whole bunch of colleagues and I, I, I love it as a concept, but part of peer reviewing is almost knowing that somebody has expertise in, the, in their field. Like if I'm reviewing a paper from... A colleague and I know they've been doing stroke work for twenty years. Then I know already that that work has a fairly solid foundation. But if somebody's just leapt into the field with zero experience, at that point, do they know the right models to use and are they
0: approaching Ooh, the question? But should correctly?
1: that really make a difference? I, I might challenge that. Should that really make a difference? I mean, that that That's would suggest that you're you might let somebody who you know very experienced off a little bit if you know that they're yep. good compared to somebody who you'd never heard of
2: yeah it is difficult but i know i think part of the problem is that some fields are enormous and some fields are tiny and often if you're working in a very tiny field you've got a limited pool of people you can cite so you often end up doing that self-citation thing and so you've said you know we've shown this before and at that point everybody knows who we is because you've, you've referenced yourself so you then If you go in for the double-blind review process, you then have to go through your own manuscript and take out your own, not your own references, but you have to take out all of those "we" references, which I think for a lot of people in tiny fields might be really challenging.
1: Okay, next question. Um, Are you ready? (laughs) Are you doing the review for the authors or the journal editor? Go. Both. You all agree both. Yeah. Technically, don't they argue that it's actually for the editor, for the editor to then decide whether they're gonna give your feedback. Do you think do editors always include all the reviews from everybody? I don't know this, because I don't know an editor. I'm assuming that every time I've done a review, everything I've shared's gone back.
3: I actually think they should filter some, Adam, just on a note here, when it's a bad review, like I mentioned. I think they... Yeah, they they usually include I once I, I I reviewed the paper where we were thirteen or fifteen peer reviewers that was insane, but yeah that was just insane. But yeah, I think they actually include everyone, and they shouldn't if it's a bad review. Filtering bad reviews is still an issue, in my
1: opinion. I agree, and then feedback to the reviewer saying, "Are you sure you really would you like to rethink this?" Okay next question how do you avoid the temptation to fix the paper we were talking about this off air before we started recording today i get the impression yvonne particularly likes fixing papers
2: oh how rude (laughs) so so fine i'll answer it so i think you should avoid the temptation to fix the paper by remembering that it's not your job to fix the paper so if if it's genuinely been conducted poorly or is not clear then you give constructive feedback but if it's peppered with like typos and poor grammar that's definitely not your job to go through and fix them all and say by the way you mislabeled b as c and that that's not your job you have your job is to judge the quality of the science and whether they've used the right techniques to answer the questions that they were aiming to answer
1: Martina, do you do you fix papers? Are you uh, guilty of that problem? Yeah,
0: I'm guilty, but I'm trying to um, get better. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm trying to repeat to myself, you know, this is the manuscript I have in front of me, and this is what I have to consider. And I'm considering the science, and this is this is my role. I'm trying to help a, and kind of provide my comment on an opinion what what the author has done. So this is kind of mantra of keeping repeating that.
1: And it's a good habit to form as well i think so last of the quick fire questions you've given your feedback you're on let's say round 2 i don't know i mean how many rounds is too many i i've certainly had one paper recently where we had four <laughs> over 2 years as well but anyway um so you're on the second round the author didn't change the paper to your satisfaction how do you approach it the second time around do you just put the same comment again with maybe, maybe with an exclamation point at the end or in capitals, like you're shouting, or do you rephrase it saying, I see this still hasn't been addressed. Um, I would have particular concerns. How do you do it? Uh, Let's go with Martina again, you go first.
0: So I tend to rephrase the issue and then check what the other reviewers are commenting on because if that's something that i only spotted maybe it's just something that it's on me and it doesn't bother the others um, but if it's something that some the others reviewers have picked up and I, I really believe that this is something important to solve and the and the authors are ignoring it i try to rephrase it and um, if it's you know if it's still not um answer maybe in, in round three then i might write something like i think this is still an issue but i'll leave the decision up to the to the editor to decide what uh, what to do with this specific um item or 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 There's whatever
1: particular disney song coming into my head right from from frozen right now <laughs> i think you know the one i'm, I'm talking about um Go on, see it, see it. Isabel. You've got an amazing singing voice. I feel sure you could sing that. <laughs> so what? We'll, no, go ahead. So do we? Do we let it go, Isabel? Do we let it go? <laughs>
3: oh damn it! That was going to say. Um, well, it it depends on what you mean by changes to your satisfaction, because it depends if it's a major or minor change. If it really how important it is, basically for the quality of the paper. And um, I actually recently had an interesting related experience to this. So it was not in the same journal. Um, recently, I think it was like a year or two ago. I ended up reviewing the same paper, but in two different journals. <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, and the, the the approach I took was being honest. Both, especially to the editor, I said that I had reviewed this paper before, and so some of my comments were were wait wait
1: su- I, I need I need to say with that. I'm trying to understand that. So, did they send the same paper to two journals? No, they got rejected. To... I see. Right. It wasn't like we'll send it to both and see which <laughs> one we can get. I mean, that's no. quite cunning, right? I mean, that's not well, a bad most idea. journals. <laughs> in
3: most journals, you have um, a section where, as an author, you sign that you only submitted. <laughs> it's not in another journal, but yeah, so I don't know. Do know, they
1: know? really? <laughs> no, don't say. I don't
3: know. No, in this case, it was rejected. Uh, it had massive problems, but it was rejected in the first journal. I
1: came back to you the second time. And
3: then know. back to me the second time in a different journal. Um, but what I noticed was that there were some minor improvements f- compared to the, to the first submission where like I said it, it had been rejected. but many of the, my major concerns had not been addressed. Um, and persisted for the second submission. So I was honest with my review. I actually started saying that I had reviewed this paper before. And basically at some point I copy pasted some of my comments because it's like, these are the the concerns that I I still have. Uh, And it was, many of them were uh, with the methods, with the results they were claiming. um, And it was, and I was definitely honest with the editor. And it ended up being rejected in the second journal as well. Um, but overall, I think it's crucial to reflect on how important those changes are for the quality of the manuscript. Like I said, and in this particular situation, they were massive. Uh, so, and I guess the, the important thing to remember as well is that the editor is the one that decides on the final outcome, but they're looking at us to provide them with honest and unbiased feedback so they can make the best. You're the decision. experts,
1: right? Yeah. Exactly. Did did you have any? I mean, the other thing I think you can always tell as well is is just how quickly it comes back to you, right? I mean, if you get that paper back within a day, I mean, fine. I mean, I know we all academics work 24-7 and, and are keen to get these papers published and turned around. But if you know, if that's come back within a day, all they've done is retype it, right? They haven't gone away and seriously thought about anything. They probably haven't done any more data analysis. They've just, they've just reworded or added, which is fine sometimes if all, they've, if all you've asked them to do is to better describe something or to say why they didn't use a particular method, then that can be dealt with. Martina, go on.
0: Based on what Isabel just said, it just, just remind me that uh, what happened to me was um, I comment on the paper and then got rejected. And the author sent exactly the same paper to the same journal. And surprise, surprise, it came back to me. <laughs> And they, di- they didn't change anything absolutely nothing and you know you, ne- you also need to remember that you know this is a small community so it's very likely that you know you-, you get the same reviewer for the same journal so in that specific occasion i just wrote back to the editor saying you know this was submitted two weeks ago and you know this is the comment and also it was not just me being a nasty reviewer or reviewer number two but all the other i think three reviewers commented exactly on the same thing so you know.
1: So looking, yeah, looking at the other comment, the other reviewers' comments as well can make the difference. I feel we've dealt with that question now about did they, did you have anything to add, Yvonne?
2: No, I would say just exactly what the other guy said. It depends on your feedback. So if they need to clarify something experimentally because it was unclear or the data didn't back up what they were claiming and they didn't do it, I've got a limit. i do not review stuff more than twice if they don't do what i've asked them to do on a major concern by the second review i write back to the editor and say i'm sorry they've not done this i've asked for it twice um i'm not reviewing this paper again and at that point i would reject it um but if it's minor concerns rather than you know just uh, one of my have the authors considered questions and they've turned it down but for a good reason then then i'd be fine with it but
1: So that that sounds all good and well, but I think it does take a certain level of confidence to do that. I think if you're a, you know, if you're a PhD student or something, maybe doing your first review or your second, I I think it takes a certain level of confidence to go back to the editor and to start to say what you, have you know, I I won't review this again. I want to reject it. I mean, even if I mean, a, a great way we're going to talk about this in a little while, which although time's ticking on about, kind of being a reviewer for manual for abstracts for a conference and things as well is a a nice way to ease yourself into that but you 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 know you do feel this pressure that that you you don't want to be too mean you don't want to kind of dishearten everybody and ECRs are very conscious of all this now so it it, it, confidence comes into that I would say wouldn't you Yvonne
2: yeah but I would also say that I this is very opinionated but I you well, no that. way <laughs> <laughs> i would say i don't think phd students should be reviewing papers on their own so Ooh, at, at that point like no i i have no issue with them reviewing papers but i just don't think they have the long-term experience that you need sometimes to have perspective in the field they can review a paper sure but do it with someone more senior um because it helps you get that experience but at that point if it does you know it's going to waste your time if it comes back four times and that's when you and the authors are still not changing what you ask them to change and the experiment is wrong or is inappropriate that's a waste of your time but as a PhD student you might not know that and so you need to have someone senior on board who's maybe got the cojones to go
1: back and you would expect the journal would would select reviewers appropriately so they wouldn't for example send an entire paper out just to PhD students Actually that comes up quite a lot on social media. I'm a PhD student. I'm in my third year I've been asked to do a review. Can I? Should I? What would you recommend? I mean what would you say to would you say to Pete So on would you say no, don't?
2: No, I'd say so as PhD students, I think I reviewed when I was a PhD student, but I reviewed with people. So my supervisor would go, I've had this paper to review would you look at it and I would go in and I would read it and then I'd take him my opinions back and we'd sit and have a chat about it and then he'd do the review so he might add stuff to mine but I would have given it because as a PhD student, like Isabel said at the beginning, when you're first starting to do this, you're so nitpicky. You're going in and you're going, Oh, the Axis label is not is not quite right and you're you're picking up every single tiny small detail, which is not necessarily what you need to be doing, because it takes ages and it's not really what the authors need and it's not really your job. So Actually, PhD students are quite good because they do pick up those small details, but then you need someone with more experience to get a, a bigger picture on, on, on the That's whole thing. That's part
1: of a, a team, so, a, a review team. Okay, uh, time is marching on, so we're going to come to this final section. Uh, and in this final section, I'm going to give common examples of peer reviewer comments that are flagged as bad and ask how you would do it differently. So... Um, This has come up. This is a genuine comment that's been added to a manuscript, uh, which is, you. well, I don't think it really was added in this exact phrasing, but needs more experiments. <laughs> what? Do you, I mean, how do you approach, how do you put the comment when you think this needs another experiment, some more experiments, how can you do that without literally just saying needs more experiments? I'm assuming this, we've already covered this, right? Martina said. Be specific. You can specifically say, I think another experiment is required. It would be this one. And be mindful. You know yourself how long experiments take. If you're asking somebody to go away and do another month's worth of work at the end of a project that's possibly already finished and had no money left because they published at the end, not at the midway through, be realistic. So, how, but I mean, I'm answering my own question there. What would you what would you say?
0: Well, I think, first of all, I think we, we need to learn to distinguish between things that must be fixed before publication and things that, you know, there's no need to be fixed and might be sort of suggestion for future research or for things to consider. So it's a matter of phrasing the comment into like... Um, could the author comments on or have the author consider and then it's up to them whether they feel like they have the time, the data in order to specifically address the point or they can turn it into, oh, this could be interesting, but that's outside the scope of the manuscript.
1: So it's that be mindful about something that's genuinely, because I guess if another experiment would genuinely add value, you could say this other experiment would add value, but it could be dealt with in another paper. It could be done at another time. Uh, does that extra experiment really stop what's there being published? Uh, is it yes. good enough? Yes, and
0: then you also give the opportunity to, to the author to you know understand whether they can do that in a reasonable time or if it's future research. And, and
1: this is, I think this is probably one of, one of the reasons why peer review is so criticised at the moment is, is because the people that have been asked to do it are kind of quite often journals build up these relationships, don't they, with the same people time and time again. They're quite often senior people who they like, and who don't necessarily anymore take the time and the effort that's needed to 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 really consider the way that feedback's provided. And I, I think, as you'd encourage this to journals, this is this is another reason why we do need more people listeners at home to go away and volunteer to get involved in peer review, because it broadens the pool, and you can. It mean it takes pressure off Yvonne Abington and Martina and Isabel will have to review slightly fewer papers each year, but that means you can put more effort into the ones that you do review if we broaden the pool of people and you can you can give proper feedback and take time to explain what you mean about experiments, not just say uh this needs more experiments i'm gonna i'm gonna move on um not not good, fix it okay bye <laughs> have you ever had that? I mean, that sounds like the feedback Yvonne might have given on a paper she reviewed this week. No, I, I'm sure you yeah, wouldn't. <laughs> no,
2: I wasn't, that, I wasn't that brutal. I did say this is not good. Uh, no, I think if you review properly, you should never give problems without solutions. You need to give a reason it's not good and you need to give a suggestion on how to fix it. And I think that's...
1: And, and you... I think you've perfectly gone on to answer the next issue, which is um, needs more needs needs more it's the same thing isn't it if you explain you just need to better describe
2: i think i think, I think to be you just need to be a considerate reviewer and realize that actually suggesting a 50 to one hundred pound experiment that involves a new colony of mice that will take a year and a half is insane and how much like you said and how much will that really contribute to the science that is coming out of that paper
1: and if you disagree, I mean if you're on the other side of it and you disagree with a reviewer comment, you can just you know, you can reply to a reviewer comment saying, I've done this. Explain. If if it's just missed, just explain it. And reviewers are generally nice people, right? I mean you don't do this you don't vol it's nobody's getting paid here. This is this is all for the benefit of science and nobody volunteers to do it to to kind of to benefit themselves. Or do they? Isabel, back to your question. Yours is gonna be the last question today. Why Early career researchers out there are listening to this all over the world. No pressure, but why should they get involved in peer review?
3: Well, you touched on some of the points already on your introduction, but I would say that benefits for ECRs include gaining insights into other developments in your field um, in a timely manner. (laughs) Um, So before they're even published, uh, which is, it's, it's important. Uh, playing a greater role in the research community in general, uh, because you're, you're helping improve the quality of the papers that are published. Uh, you're in a way also, I, I don't want to say controlling uh, where the research is going, but at least making sure that where it's going is a good place. It's a, a place of good quality research. Um, it also helps you develop research and writing skills. And honestly it helps with your own work because often you see things in papers they're like wow okay I never thought of putting a, a a figure like this before or explaining it this way uh it I think it really helps
1: um so new ideas right yeah, mean, absolutely. ideas from the I mean how many times have you you just uh, you can nod but then I'll say how many do you do you take away ideas from papers and go oh yeah I could uh, yeah that's a great Martina does. Yvonne never never gets ideas from paper. <laughs> no, she does really. Okay. Um. Thank you, uh, Isabel, and and of course, um, along with the show notes for this podcast, we will give some links to where we are aware of some peer review training that's involved. I think Isabel, if that. Um, ARUK Southwest Networks got that somewhere videoed. It'd be great to put up to our YouTube channel. Um, also as well, we do have a WhatsApp uh, community group where you can join. And if you've written a paper or you'd like to be involved in review or just want to offer offer out your services, um, I'm sure you could mention that in the WhatsApp group um, and people would, would get you involved and and i like the idea as uh, as a few of you mentioned about the idea of sitting down with somebody and doing this together so when you're finally in a position as you supervise others and you're reviewing a paper maybe invite invite that phd student to come and sit with you while you go through and say hey i'll do it in tandem the problem i think the problem is is of course the the confidentiality bit stops you doing that doesn't it which is a shame because you'd quite like to to say you review this. I'm going to review your comments. I mean, that must be the one thing supervisors can't delegate just to to their, to their research assistants and PhD students is the peer review bit. Or do they anyway? Yes, I
2: think they do. <laughs> That's exactly the problem. So you can tell a PhD student has reviewed your work because it will be way more nitpicky than it needs to be. Um, and it is... It, our every all big wig professors you're sending it to big wig professors you wish they were reviewing it they're not they're farming it out to
3: anyone who is in their lab at that point it should not be like that but sadly i think it is and it's important that the students have the recognition but on a note i would say that some editors allow if you discuss with the if the professor discuss with the editor sometimes they allow you to, if you explain you would like to share with the PhD student and review with them, some editors allow that. And it's, but yeah, on another note, it's really important if that's the case that the student gets credit for it.
1: And and I think you made a really good point there, Yvonne, is as a a kind of early career researcher, try to avoid being a bit nitpicky. You don't literally you don't have to comment not everything needs feedback sometimes you can just let it go through right i just
2: exactly not everything it doesn't it's a paper it does not necessarily need fixing like it might be great so you don't have to go looking for mistakes or looking for uh, errors
1: unless you're looking for a way to make it better Mm, or exactly fix it but if it's just meh just you can just leave it you don't have to comment okay Last, very last, we're way over time. Last point, we're not talking about what's broken about peer review here today. We're assuming peer review is awesome, which we know it isn't. Um, but I'm going to give you all one thing. You can highlight one thing about peer review that if you could fix it, you you. what's the one thing you'd like to fix about peer review? And I've given you no time to prepare for this. And I'm going to go to Martina first. What would you like to fix about peer review, Martina?
0: Probably, well, two things comes to mind. One is... I I gave you one thing. Sorry, sorry, (laughs) sorry.
1: All right, if they're they're connected, connected. we might let you. Go on.
0: on. Um, One is incentive to people who actually review um, papers, and the other one is probably make reviewers accountable for what they are doing, so they stop trashing papers. That's it for me.
1: Good Good points. Isabel.
0: Okay, proper recognition,
3: and at the same time, accountability for bad reviews.
1: Okay, so we've got a matched pair there. Yvonne?
3: Well, thanks, you came to me last and now I'm all
2: out of ideas. Everybody's sucked I, I know away. you'd
1: have some new ones.
2: No, I don't, because mine is basically reflective of Martina and Isabel's, and it's just, I think, I, this will not work because everyone's way too busy, but I think peer review should just be a meeting.
3: I think it should be face-to-face chat. Mm.
1: Three people i think it, some journals
3: there? are trying that can, or i i've done a review recently where it asked me if the, if the authors were um interested in having a meeting with me if i was uh interested in that actually
1: that sounds more like a counseling like you know like arbitration <laughs> this is this is marriage counseling where exactly you'd, the do, you, you'd have meet. the meeting if you've got to round three yeah. And eventually say, look, we're all just going to have to get around the tech because it is quicker, right? Sometimes just to get around the table, you can actually maybe would that be good? Would instead of written feedback, audio notes, you can just talk about a paper and going, hey, look, I really like this. But this section here confused me. Um, This experiment will be good, but don't feel obliged to do it. Wouldn't it be you could quickly talk about you could cram all your peer review notes into a 10 minute. I'd, and if I was listening to that from somebody, I'd like that.
2: Listen to your peer reviews at
1: the gym. Off, uh, there you go. Publishers out there. Audio feedback in the format of peer review is something we're endorsing here. Thank you very much, everybody. We really have come to the end of our time. We're at an hour now. So, as a final set of takeaways, our advice would be to be specific, courteous, constructive. And then it should go without saying, but you also need to maintain confidentiality. We haven't talked about this a little much today, but be timely. One of the biggest complaints in our ECR survey about the peer review process was how bloody long it takes and how sometimes you papers can just take months and months and months. And it's not always due to the peer review. Sometimes the journals are just a bit slow and a bit bogged down. But if you agree to do a peer review, make sure you do it on time and be timely. And if you don't have time, just say you don't have time. And the best and final takeaway, do as you would be done unto. Um, So avoid being rude, vague, smug, uh, committed to particular issues, theories or methodologies and do a great job. And really do go out there and offer to get involved in peer review because it just makes everybody's life a little bit easier if there are more people to spread the work around, thank you very much again uh the amazing dr martina Bocchetta, uh the fabulous dr isabel castiano still got it wrong, and the um unstoppable dr yvonne couch um thank you all so much everybody um along with our show notes, you'll be all the resources we talked about today and um Everything you'll need to help you prepare to go off and do it and be a peer review. And we'll see you again in two weeks' time. Thanks, everybody.
0: Bye. 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 Thank Bye. Bye. Brought to you by Dementor Researcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.